Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. I'm Doug Krisner in New York. 47 past the hour. Let's get you caught up on market action. Seeing a recovery in many of the tech names today after yesterday's sell-off. It was in the last session that the NASDAQ composite broke below that 50-day moving average. We are above that level at this point. Uh, The gain for the NASDAQ composite is 1.4%. And we have uh, many of the financial stocks doing reasonably well today. The Fed, after the bell, is going to announce the result of the second part of its annual stress test. And this is going to determine whether banks can now increase their dividends and perhaps buybacks stock. NASDAQ composite, as I mentioned, up 1.4%. The S&P is ahead 9 tenths of 1%. Dow Industrials with an advance of about 7 tenths of 1%. We've got the ECB kind of dialing back on the remarks made yesterday by President Mario Draghi. He jolted markets in the previous session by saying, hey, deflationary forces have been replaced by reflationary ones. But today, the ECB revising that script, uh, they're telling us what was perceived to be hawkish was really meant to strike a balance between recognition Recognizing the Eurozone's economic strength and at the same time kind of warning that monetary support is still necessary. U.S. 10-year Treasury right now at a yield of 2.21%. WTI crude advancing by 1%. We're at 44.73. This after U.S. inventory data showed a significant drop in gasoline stockpiles. Let's get back to more Bloomberg Markets now with Carol. All right, Doug, thank you very much. It is time for the Bloomberg ETF report brought to you by BlackRock. Worried about market volatility? Minimum volatility strategies may be able to help. To learn more, please visit BlackRock.com slash factors prepared by BlackRock Investments, LLC. Here at the Bloomberg ETF report, Bloomberg's Jenna Dagenhart. Buyers are pouring into the world's most expensive ETF. It's called BizD. It seems almost forbidding because it's disclosing this eye-popping fee of 920 basis points. And to put that into perspective, SPY, the world's largest and most popular ETF, which tracks the S&P 500 index, has a fee of 9.5 basis points. It's built as a fund of funds, and it holds business development companies, or BDCs. For the official expense ratio, the SEC requires BizD to include any acquired fees from those BDCs. The investors aren't really being charged all of that. BizD has this complex structure with multiple layers. It's built as a fund of funds and it holds business development companies or BDCs. For the official expense ratio, the SEC requires BizD to include any acquired fees from those BDCs. Those underlying expenses are embedded in the return of the ETF. So if you stripped out those extra fees, the investors really being charged about 41 basis points. So really, buyers are interested in BizD and we're seeing the inflows here because of the unique exposure the ETF is offering. That's your Bloomberg ETF report. I'm Jenna Dagenhart. This is Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. That's what we might need in uh, today's market environment. We want to talk a little bit about um, the environment and also stock picking specifically. Uh, our next guest uh, manages the Hennessy Equity Income Fund, beating most of its peers over the past five years, up nearly 7.9% on average a year over that time frame, putting it in the 70, 70th percentile. Mark Duvall is with us, Equity Portfolio Manager of the Hennessy Equity and Income Fund, $290 million in assets under management in our Bloomberg 1130 studio. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Hey, when you look at the environment right now, um, are you finding that uh, there are opportunities and that you are wanting to make some purchases? Or right now, has, have things gotten a little bit pricey to your in your view? 
You know, it is difficult. I would say looking at, at a macro level, the market's trading at about 18 times forward earnings, 12 times cash flow or EBITDA. So that makes it a little bit difficult. There are certainly spots of the market where we can find individual names. Uh, we do everything 100% bottom up. So 60% of this fund is in equities, 40% fixed income. But really the goal for us and the Hennessy Equity and Income Fund is to outperform our blended benchmark over time, but with very attractive risk characteristics, so lower standard deviation, lower beta, better downside capture. So what we're looking for uh, is companies with sustainable competitive advantages that show up in high return on capital, very strong balance sheets that can limit the downside. So we're finding that really across the board in, in different individual names across the industries. Um, strong balance sheet. That explains why Berkshire maybe Hathaway is your number one pick there. Yeah. What do you think about his recent moves where he's been making some acquisitions, helped out um, the company up in Canada, playing in that home market? Uh, I guess you're okay with that. Yeah, we're generally positive on Berkshire Hathaway and, and for some of the reasons you talked about. But really, we think over the years, Buffett has done a great job building out the company, a collection of diverse businesses. So Precision Cash Parts was a, was a recent acquisition. Names like Lubrizol, Geico, General Re, Dairy Queen, great businesses that we think have sustainable competitive advantages that will persist well beyond Buffett. Uh, and that's what we like about the company. We think it trades at a significant discount to the intrinsic value if you just value the company based on the cash flow and all these disparate businesses. And also they have the individual stockholdings of some of the large positions like Coke and Wells Fargo. Right. Apple, I'm assuming you like to, um, their high return on capital as well. Yeah, high return on capital business, 27% operating margins, uh, balance sheet incredibly strong. I think $150 billion between cash and investments that they have on their balance sheet net, uh, which is, for us, a downside protection manager. iPhone 8's coming out. We're not making a projection of how great that's going to be. I think it'll be successful. But if it's not, they have this tremendous balance sheet strength that should buffer the downside. Do you care how much attention is paid on them, like what their next big thing is, considering that the iPhone generates, what is it, like two-thirds or or three-quarters of the of really their profit and their revenues? Yeah, iPhone is 67% of revenues, so two-thirds. So it is important. I don't want to say we don't look at it, but what we try to do is I tell people we try to build the investment thesis around the strength of the balance sheet. So we try to buy companies where the stock can work even if the company can't grow. Mm-hmm. So that with Apple's current valuation and their balance sheet strength, we think that can work. So if iPhone 8 is not successful, if the next five years of innovation at Apple does not prove as fruitful as it was in the past, we think the downside in the stock is still very limited. Yeah, it helps when you've got, what, $256 billion of cash on your balance sheet. Yeah, no, very strong balance sheet. That's, that's, <laughs> it's, it's tough to... Um, what are the metrics? I know if Corey was here, he would be asking, okay, so what's your methodology? What's the screening process that you go through? What is the screening process that gets you to something like an Apple or a Berkshire? Sure. So we start with uh, return on capital. We think that's the best metric, not only a so measure of So in other words, they're smart in terms of how they use their money. Yeah, they're, they're efficient in how they use their capital. So it's a measure of efficiency and profitability. So we love that. It also, if you just buy a bucket of high return on capital names over time, that's been the best performing group of stocks. So it helps raise your batting average, just return on capital. So what we'll do in terms of screening is we'll try to marry high return on capital businesses with attractive valuations. So we'll look at free cash flow yield and earnings yield. And then beyond that, do a process that we call balance sheet optimization, where we're trying to build the thesis around the strength of the balance sheet, not forecasting future earnings. And putting all that together is a pretty powerful combination. It's something like a strong balance sheet, right, to get a, a company through, whether it's good or bad times. Yeah, you can weather the bad times. With, it's just something about it. General Dynamics is a name that you like. Um, forward-looking mm-hmm. P of about 20. It's up about 16.5% this year. Mm-hmm. It's also got a you know a dividend uh, yield that you can play with as well. What specifically, again, they, it hits on all those metrics you just laid out? Yeah. So we, we've owned it for 
a few years. We bought it back, I think it was early 2013, back at the time when sequestration was the big yeah. talk and cutting budget cutting the budget and cutting defense spending. So the uh, stocks like GD and other defense contractors were trading at very attractive multiples, six, seven times EBITDA. It's done very well since then, but we like the business. Again, kind of mid-teens return on capital. Uh, new management in the last few years has done a good job with capital allocation, meaning returning cash to shareholders through mm-hmm. dividends and share buybacks. Uh, they generate about $3 billion a year in, in um, operating cash flow, and they only have about $2 billion in net debt. So we think a very strong balance sheet that, again, can limit any downside. 70% of their business comes from the government, and we think in a Republican presidency, Republican Congress, that's probably beneficial for defense spending. So it gives right. a little bit of a, a tailwind there as well. And certainly what we've heard from the president and his team. 30 seconds left here. Carnival Corporation, I've talked with their uh, senior management, uh, their head of the company, uh, Arnold Donald, many mm-hmm. times over the last couple of years. are up about 27%. People are taking cruises. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen definitely improvement in Carnival since they had some PR issues a few years ago. And that's about the time we bought it. So we've seen margin improvement, higher returns. We like that it's an oligopolistic industry, just a few competitors that really dominate the market between Carnival, Norwegian, and Royal Caribbean. We like that it tends to lead to better pricing and higher margins over time. We think there's also demographic tailwinds there as aging population tends to go on cruises more often. So we think revenue should improve, bookings are up, uh, onboard spending is up. So right. I think positive things for Cornwall. And they have a couple different brands, so it plays to different uh, seg- segments. Yeah, uh, yeah 10 brands cruising. globally. Yeah. Mark Duvall, thank you so much. You. This was fun. Equity Portfolio Manager at Hennessy Equity and Income Fund joining us right here on Bloomberg Radio.